You're listening to the best of the day. I say you, you the best. Halford and Bruff. Right now, we need to tell you about that thing that happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? So in a story that got pretty much everyone by surprise, at least by the time, good old Lou Lamorello keeping it under wraps. The captain, Bo Horvat, traded from Vancouver yesterday at around 2.45 in the afternoon. Josh Elliott-Wolf and Israel Fair right here on Sportsnet 650, breaking it live. Bo to the Islanders in exchange for Anthony Beauvillier. Atu Ratu. Mm-hmm. We got that ready? Probably. I don't know. And uh, a conditional first-round pick in 2023. It is finally over. The captaincy of Bo Horvat. He moves on, becomes a New York Islander. If we thought he would be a Canuck for life. Yeah, we all knew this was possible, but we didn't know for sure that he'd be traded. And we didn't know when it would be or what the return would be. Um, I guess we can stop worrying about Bo Horvat getting hurt in a Canucks game. We talked about that yesterday. Um, and I'm sure the timing of this trade had something to do with it. I'm also um, sure that the break for the Canucks was not a coincidence that they pulled the trigger on the deal at this point. Inconvenient for Bo <laughs> being in Florida with his family, uh, going to Disney World with the kids ahead of uh, appearing in Florida at the All-Star break. Very inconvenient, I'm sure. He'll have to figure out some stuff because he'll have to join the Islanders right after this all-star break. But I think for the advantage for the players still on the Canucks is they don't have to speak to the media about this. They can collect their thoughts. Some of them are probably already on vacation, except for Pedersen, who's going to have to deal with it at the all-star game. And lots of questions about, are you going to be the next captain? And he's like, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about anything. Um, But, uh, you know, at first glance to me, the return seemed fair, if not overwhelming. I wasn't like, wow, Beauvillier, wow, uh, Ratu, I've never heard of him. Who is he good? Hey, prospects nerds, is he good? Uh, I was happy that they got the first round pick, uh, although we don't know where in the first round it's going to be or which year it's going to be. It could be this year, it could be next year. Um, you know, I, I know people had high hopes to land a defenseman in this trade, but I'm okay with getting a center back. Um, centers are tough to find as, as well. Um, and hopefully Ratu, um, can develop into at least a very solid three C. Yep. And I, I was actually probably more bullish on the, the deal than you were when we were going back and forth yesterday. Um, but it goes beyond just the actual return for me. Like, I, I, one thing that I think is fundamentally important, I wanted to put this at the forefront, even though there's a million other things we need to get to in this trade. If you're going to go out and promise major surgery, then you got to deliver. And to be honest, I did not want any of this to extend right to the trade deadline. I know that there was this thought that this could get dragged out over the course of a month and drive up the price and everything else, but look, I think at a certain point we had to realize that if the season is indeed a write-off, and the season is indeed a write-off, it's selling assets time, then there was no more time to waste Mm -hmm. just letting it, like, try and turn something positive into this year. Because it's not going to be a playoff spot. 
right? Here's the thing. You mentioned the, the players won't have to answer questions about this anymore. Well, the, yeah, okay. I didn't mean it that way. No, but I'm, yeah. I, yeah. to put it in another context, yeah. if you truly want to give Rick Tockett a chance to do a proper coaching job, then don't give him a month of distractions with Horvat just playing out the string, maybe trying not to get hurt and going into the deadline. So for me, even though in the grand scheme of things, this deal is always really, it's always going to be where that first round pick lands. Mm -hmm. Secondly, what happens to Ratu? And then third, I guess if Beauvillier can give him something in the immediate. And then they can flip him. Yeah. I think what this really is all about is if you want to look big picture, and we had the benefit of doing that because we had some time to sit and marinate on it. This is the first incision of a major surgery. Mm -hmm. This is what it looks like. This is it. Horvat leaves, and we'll talk about his legacy because I think that's a really important part of the conversation. I know yesterday everyone was lined up to talk about what's coming back, what's new, what's shiny, all the toys, but this is a very, very big slice that Jim Rutherford and company took out of this organization. Good, bad, or otherwise. You can like the deal, you can hate the deal, but you can't deny the fact that Horvat, during a very tumultuous time for this organization, right, and I think at times through no fault of his own, was the front-facing leader of this team, mm -hmm. for good, bad, or otherwise. And I think his legacy is something important to talk about. So who won the trade? That's always a question that comes up. You see all sorts of articles two hours after the trade is made giving trade grades yeah. to each team. <laughs> um, for me, it's always hard to – well, I think for anyone, it's always hard to pick the winners of a trade, especially where futures are involved. Like, we don't even know where the first-round pick – is going to be, but as a as a Canucks fan, I still am a fan, believe it or not, uh, I'm okay with the trade. If I were an Isles fan, I'm not sure I would be okay with this trade. The Isles are not in a playoff position right now, and their prospect group, like the Canucks, is pretty thin. Horvat will really have to produce for them yeah. for this to be worthwhile, and he's going to have to produce on a contract that's going to be pretty big assuming he re-signs with the islanders i'm assuming that's going to happen you're not suggesting that maybe lou lamorello might have had some sort of conversation with pat morris that might have well, i'm not sure if it was a conversation with him but you maybe can... there's like a third party involved. yeah i mean i i, I just assume that it's going to happen right now um we'll talk to greg wachinski about that um, because he tweeted out, he's like, we, we've got to assume that Lou has a general, Lou Lamorella has a general idea of like the fact that he can get Horvat re-signed. Because imagine if he makes this trade and obviously doesn't flip him at the at the deadline and then the Islanders miss the playoffs and then Horvat walks away. It would like be that, the worst case scenario. Like that can't, that can't happen. Can't Like he has to, he's, he's somewhat, I, I assume he's protected Against that. Now, something that Drance is going to talk endlessly about and has written about already is that the Canucks made the type of bet that um, some teams have made against the Canucks and that they're, Drance will use this word, fading the Islanders, the Canucks are, in that they're hoping, in a way, mm -hmm. that the the draft pick is actually delayed until next year, and then next year the Islanders find themselves in a position where they're not a very good team. Yeah. And despite the fact that they've added guys like Horvat and they've still got guys like Barzell and Sorokin and Goal, that they're not a very good team, and the Canucks draft pick turns into, like, I don't know, a top 10, top 5 even draft pick. Remember, that was the worry 
when JT Miller was traded to Vancouver and ultimately the Canucks made the playoffs in that bubble year. Yep. And it didn't turn into a it didn't turn into a uh, a lottery pick. Yeah. I think that is a very important part of it. I don't want to focus too much on like leveraging or shorting the island. It's kind of cool though that they're playing the lo- that theoretically are well, playing that's... playing the long game in that way. Like to, I, I'm just not used to that. No, I'm not used yes, to Andy, ownership Andy it is very cool. It's very cool when all the other teams in the NHL were doing it as well. Well, yeah, I'm not used to it. We're it's, not usually the ones that do that. It's right. funny. It's it's funny how um, the Canucks identified. The Vancouver Canucks of the Eastern Conference to make this trade. <laughs> you know who's? I know they did. Like they yeah, honestly yeah, did. Yeah. They're like, this is a short-term trade by the Islanders. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. That yeah. could. It was the Spider-Man meme in real time. They're like, I'll trade with you. And for what it's worth, me. we're the same worth, guy. Isles fans were really unhappy losing Ratu, so that could be good. If, See, they're, I, if they're unhappy, maybe he's really good. I like the gamble there because I think I again for who for Ratu. Oh yeah, okay. I like. Okay, here's here's what you know, is that he's the best rated prospect coming from a team that had a lousy prospect pool. I think all the different nerds had him around the low twenties in terms of prospect depth. So, at the very least, you're saying, well, you've entertained this dance with a partner. You kind of get what you get from their prospect bin. But I think at the same time. Uh, I'm I'm going to rule out everything that happened in 2020 and 2021 in terms of drafts just because of COVID. I'm like, everything was messed up. Everyone's mm-hmm. development was messed up. All the drafts were wildly all over the place. I mean, the Canucks could have had Ratu at that draft, but they went with Klimovich instead. But obviously, uh, and when I mean, when Alvin spoke yesterday, uh, obviously he's going to go forward and speak very highly about the incoming assets, right? I mean, that, no GM is going to be like, yeah, we're marginally happy with what we got. Like, they're over the moon with this, right? So can we play with Al? Alvin had one money quote from this entire thing when we talk about winning and losing the trade. And the framework was, well, I'll let the general manager speak for himself. We got this ready, Greg. This is Patrick Alvin on the bounty in return for Bo Horvat in yesterday's trade. You know what? Uh, you could look at it that we got uh, actually three first rounders back here. Um, I think it was uh, <clears throat> important for us to get a first round pick back. Um, we got a young prospect in, in Adorati. And again, we're getting a 25 year old uh, young player in uh, Antonio, Antonio uh, Bovillier back here that. Uh, uh, been playing uh, pretty consistent for uh, New York Islanders over the the last couple of years. I've seen him a lot uh, in my previous organization in the playoffs here. Um, like the details he plays with, uh, his tenacity, his uh, puck hunting. Um, I think he will fit in well here uh, in our top six group uh, on the left side. Three first round picks. He should have said, for all you nerds that wanted us to get picks, we just got three of them. How do you like that? Now, what he's... Except Beauvillier was a first-round pick seven years ago. Ratu actually wasn't a first-round pick. He was a second-round pick that fell to the second round. So I guess what is the spin there? That he should have have been taken in the first round? And then they actually got a real first-round pick. When you're doing the spin, you have to be like, you guys know what I'm talking about. They're kind of first-round picks. And then Mm -hmm. you put asterisks. And not just a first-round pick, but a first-round pick that's not one of the better picks in the first round. Probably. Like a lower first-round pick. But they still got three of them. You know... um, I think Beauvillier is probably the least exciting return out of all of these. But I'm actually kind of curious to see what he does in the immediacy. Because the one thing that Alvin kept harping on yesterday were uh, details hard to play against. We saw him a lot in the playoffs. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if if you go back and look at the very short story of Beauvillier's postseason career. He scored a, 
a series worth of like game winning goals in the playoffs. He's one of those guys that has done a little bit more damage in the playoff than in the regular season. The concern is that he's 25 years old and whatever finishing prowess he had is kind of, I don't want to say fallen off a cliff, but it's taken a nosedive. The issue with that is that his line mates didn't change in on the island. He was playing with like Brock. Everyone had trouble scoring on the island too. So I'm kind of wondering, I'm like, is this a team thing? Because you would think he'd get a look with Pedersen maybe to begin. Like it could be Beauvillier, Pedersen, and Kuzmenko. That, that's a possibility. Could be, I guess. Yeah, sure. But, but again, I think the really interesting thing is that all three assets uh, have a sort of inherent flexibility to them. Like, if you don't like what you see from Beauvillier or you're not going to keep him long term, you can move him. Mm-hmm. He's got one year left. You could be a rental in the summer or at the trade deadline next year if you're not in the playoffs again. God forbid. Uh, Ratu isn't going to be thrust into the NHL lineup right away. He's going to report to Abbotsford. Mm-hmm. And you've got someone that might have a lot of growth in their game after slipping in the draft. I'm being very optimistic. Yeah, at this for point. sure. No, it's okay to be optimistic about it. And then with the pick, as we mentioned, you're kind of taking that short position, which I don't really understand. I don't get economics, but you, you got a short. <laughs> it's pick. not economics. Yeah. It's finance, you would call it. Right. Like, you know, advanced banking, like they're doing here. And you, you go in. Never heard that phrase, advanced banking, but <laughs> keep go, going. I want to know more about advanced banking. And you say. Can we put the Isles in a position where maybe this turns into a real home run for us? Mm-hmm. So I really liked the deal. I was I understand that some people were always going to expect more, or you could have done this differently, you could have done that differently. But I thought it was a really smart, savvy move, and I'm just I'm really uh, I'm really happy that it, they got it done. I, I'm, I'm glad, really happy I'm that glad they got something it done. happened. I'm glad I'm glad they they made. Uh, a big move, and certainly trading your captain is a big move. This team needs to be shaken. It needs to yeah, be. Yeah. There needs to be more of these moves, right? Like we like keep I, it going. Do you remember when I said I'd cry on the air if they re-signed Horvat? It yeah. wasn't out of joy. It was just like we can't keep doing the same thing mm-hmm. over and over. Yes, this will. There is there is risk in this deal. All three of these assets could turn into nothing, and the Isles would have. Horvat, like that is possible, right? Like the Bovillier comes in and he's like, yeah, I can see why the why he was available for trade, and the you know like the Islanders wanted to be rid of his contract, and then Ratu, well, well, I can see why the Islanders were willing to throw this guy into the trade, and then the first round pick, we we all know, right? There's risk, you, yes. there's no guarantees with first round picks, but something had to change. Something had, the, the team had to be shaken from a roster perspective, not just a mm-hmm. coaching change or a management change, a roster perspective, and not at the bottom of the lineup, not on third pair defense, not in backup goalie. Yeah. Like core players have to be moved out. They still have to be moved out, which leads us to the question of where does this trade leave the Canucks? Yeah. So I'm going to go through a bunch of things here, and then we can get into those things for the rest of the show, really, because this question, where does this leave the Canucks? There's a lot of items to get to. First of all, it leaves them without a captain. Right. So we're going to have that debate, and Patrick Alvin had comments about Pedersen and Hughes and their potential to take over the leadership role of this team. It leaves them with JT Miller, and with JT Miller as a center, because it's going to be Pedersen is a center, and then you don't have another top six center. Like you just, unless you want to put Sheldon Dries in there, which I don't think you do. And Ratu is obviously not ready to come up to the NHL, certainly not to play a top six role. So JT Miller's going to be a center for better or for worse. It leaves them with a blue line that still needs a dramatic makeover. 
a very dramatic makeover. And it still leaves them with salary, bad contracts that still need to be moved. Yep. Besser, Garland, Tyler Myers. Will those guys be moved ahead of the trade deadline? Probably not. Will they be moved this offseason? Probably. It leaves them with five more weeks until the deadline. And still a pending UFA in a guy like Luke Shen. Drive up that Luke Shen price. Here's the good stuff. Here's what I really like. It leaves them with two first-round draft picks in this year's or next year's draft. Plus, Ratu, Podkolzin, Hoaglander, Linus Carlson, and Klimovich in the AHL. When you make moves like this, all of a sudden, that thin prospect pool, you start to look at it a little more positively. You've added a good prospect in Ratu. You've added another first-round draft pick, and all of a sudden that prospect pool that you're like, God, there's like no one coming. You can sit there and go, hmm, maybe in a year or two. Yep. These guys will be ready to roll. Oh, I think I think that's a big part of this. Is even and again, this is coming from a fan base and quite particularly two hosts that have been kind of clamoring for this for a while. You see the immediate choke chain effect like the moment that you make a deal like this all of a sudden perception gets flipped I don't want to say a full 180 because there's still work to do but there's a lot more optimism about okay more guys coming that could potentially contribute on their ELCs more guys that aren't going to cost you a ton of money because right now they're still very bloated money-wise on the wings like Beauvillier doesn't solve that problem it makes it more complicated because they yeah. have it was funny Alvin tried to spin it yesterday he's like you, you could say that we've given our coaching staff a lot of options like you could say that, <laughs> you sure could say that. But they could also call it a log jam. Yeah, or a lot of like dead money lying on your wings. But that's the reality of the situation. Something needed to come back monetarily. By the way, in case anyone is really interested in the the fine print on this deal, uh, the Canucks are retaining twenty five percent of Bo Horvat's salary for the mm-hmm. remainder of the year. Just kind of underscores how difficult it is to make these trades. Period. Yeah. Like this. Here's another thing. Kudos to both parties here for actually getting a trade done. You have no idea how much this trade resonated across North America. Mm-hmm. I had like eight different interview requests. Yeah, did people you turn were, them all down. Yeah, everyone. Winnipeg them. request again? No, Winnipeg shut me out. I think I'm gonna. I came on a little too strong in saying how much I like doing the hit. Yeah, and then you got to be like, calm with the Jets. Jets fans. It was weird. I shouldn't have called cool them the next Jets. day. I cool. I called Winnipeg the next day. I right. should have waited three days. But anyway, um, I, this was like a big deal because mm-hmm. there's such a logjam across the league. And not only did the deal get done, it got done way in advance of the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. The trade deadline is not for over another month, right? And I know all the guys on the trade center desks were pounding their fists like, come on, man. Like, you can't start this already. We got a show to do on the day of. But the reality of it is it got done. And so here's it. Yeah. Sorry. No, you, it's a, well, no, go. You know what? Go ahead. We can. We were talking about this all day, so there's no yeah. lack of time to talk about it. One of the questions that I threw out on Twitter yesterday was, did the Canucks ultimately, was this more about trading Horvat because they couldn't afford him? They obviously have salary issues. They have cap issues. And Horvat was having such a great year that his price went up. Was it more that? Or was this about a new management coming in and going, you know what, we need to change the culture? And Bo Horvat was the captain. And even though he was a good captain, 
he wasn't getting it done as a captain. The leadership group, um, I mean, we we all know the issues that the Canucks mm-hmm. have in terms of leadership and, and their culture. Um, I, I just wonder about the latter. So hold on. I, but, the question again is, was this about was not this being a, able to reach a contract or they never really wanted to and they wanted to change the culture? Yeah, pretty I, much. I, because I think the, 100% it was the latter. It was the latter, yeah, mm-hmm. because clearly they made decisions that led to them not being able to afford Horvat. Right, they they signed Miller, they signed Kuzmenko, and the way Drans framed it in his piece on the Athletic, which is very good by the way, I recommend you go read it in the aftermath of the trade. He kind of said, last summer they entered into negotiations trying to find an extension for Horvat. When they didn't, they almost frustratingly pivoted and they're like, fine, right, we'll sign JT. Because mm-hmm. remember, the JT Miller deal really did come out of nowhere. Kind of yeah. also. Uh, kudos to whoever is in charge of keeping these things under wraps because nobody's breaking these Canucks deals mm-hmm. before they happen. Well, it's pretty tough with Lou Lamb, I think, involved. Yeah, but the Kuzmenko one just popped up out of nowhere. The JT Miller one popped up out of nowhere. The Kuzmenko one didn't pop up out of nowhere. I didn't think it was going to happen. Rick at, was at all that over time. that one. No, no, no. That, it seemed like it was going to happen. Okay, you, well, you, I, you, you, you know what? You got to nap less during the day because a lot of stuff happens on Twitter while you're napping. I don't believe like it. Like Bo Horvat getting traded. That did happen while I was napping. I'd love to hear from the listeners on, on just the change – in, I, I realize it leaves a vacancy at captain cap at the captaincy role, and I realize it leaves a lot of unknowns. Um, you know, it's like these unknowns, like when the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson, and I was like, wow, there's a big unknown. Like, who's going to be able to come in and play quarterback for him? Now, fortunately, Geno Smith was able to come in and adequately replace him. Actually, more than adequately replace him. But there was that feeling when they traded Russ. There was like. Wow, like they're in the wilderness now. And in terms of leadership of this team, they are in the wilderness right now, but that can be a good thing. Yeah. Like you sometimes you just need to move players around and then you don't know who's going to take advantage of the opportunity. It can be an opportunity in the lineup, it can be an opportunity in a leadership role, it can be both things. What I like about this move is the fact that the Canucks did it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That sounds so weird, but like they just needed to change things. It might get worse before it gets better, but it needed to change. The best part of the trade is they made the trade. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I you know, I don't want to be like the hive mind thing where it's like, I agree with Bruff. We always have the best ideas, but that was we've been saying this for months. It's like you got to do something. This year has been such a train wreck, such a tire fire. You couldn't let it keep burning and smoldering, especially when you put forth the messaging that you did. I mean, that was the worst part for me. I was like, Millhouse waiting for them to get to the fireworks. Where are they going to get the fireworks factory? Like, when? Because if you're going to promise major surgery, I mean, like, I'm all in now. I'll sign up for elective surgery at this point. Like, just keep it coming, right? There needs to be something new. If you're going to promise change, change has to happen. We got a lot of things that are still to come on this show. We're here till 9 o'clock. We've pretty much dedicated, again, all due respect to the January transfer window closing across Europe. Uh, we're probably going to focus almost exclusively on the Bo Horvat trade today. Pretty fundamental. A lot of the things we still need to get into, Bo's legacy in Vancouver, his impact, how he'll be remembered. The next captaincy, I think we need a long conversation about that because Alvin didn't waste a lot of time yesterday addressing who the guys might be. That actually surprised me. Yeah, same. That really surprised me. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. To the phone lines we go. Thomas Drance, the Athletic Vancouver Canucks talk right here on Sportsnet 650. He joins the program. What up, Drancer? Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning to you. So there's like no shortage of things to talk about here, even though it's just a singular trade and it's only one player leaving town. We have spent the better part of two hours talking about this in every way, shape and form. But you know what our biggest takeaway was, to be honest, it was, thank God they did something like I know that there's a lot to process about the pick and the prospect and Beauvillier, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, when it's this dysfunctional and this big a tire fire and this disappointing a season and the president of hockey ops is calling for major surgery, it's very refreshing when the scalpel gets whipped out. That's where Jason and I are at with this. <laughs> yeah, and no one, no one ever said major surgery wasn't invasive. Um, this, was a, this was the sort of deal I think the Canucks fans have been clamoring to see their team make more of, right? I mean... This was such a future-oriented return, even though it was attached to a pretty significant non-expiring salary in the commitment the Canucks are taking back to Anthony Beauvillier. You know, getting a first with some upside to it, right? Not 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 like a strong first-round pick. Not not a late first-round pick. This is a pick that could be a a strong middle-of-the-pack first-round pick, and hey, has a shot to be even more than that in the event that it rolls over to next year and a 20 year old center who the team doesn't seem like they're even going to start in the NHL. You know, these are future forward pieces. This is a future forward emphasis on the trade. And I think Canucks fans are so relieved to see a trade of that sort that, and, and, and you know what, I'd add this as well. So desperate for good news that, you know, I've, I've been a little surprised because, you know, in the headline of, of a piece, which is actually mostly pretty positive about the trade, I think, over at The Athletic, um, you know, it's, it's the, the word underwhelming ends up in the headline. Like, the return's underwhelming, but at least it looks to the future is, is sort of the headline. And the comments, people are furious. People are like, what are you talking about? This is great. Yeah. And I think that just sort of speaks to how relieved Canucks fans are to see this deal really look forward and for the first time in a long time, for the first time really in this regime's tenure, uh, prioritize sort of the long-term health of this organization as opposed to the present. Um, you know, if, if this team can make this kind of move, have this kind of emphasis in every move they make for a couple of years here, you know, there, there's a chance we could get to watch some meaningful hockey again in this city. So I understand why people are excited, but, um, you know, I, I do think it's a pretty complicated one to break down in in a lot of ways. And, you know, I don't, I don't see the value as like a grand slam necessarily for the Canucks. What did you think about Alvin's comments about naming a new captain? Because they seem to suggest that it's going to be either Petey or Hughes. And the comments also seem to suggest that a decision would be made pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, interesting for sure. The... You know, my view of it anyway, my view of it anyway is that, you know, I, I'm sure Elias Pettersson would be this team's first choice to be their next captain. And 
you know, I, I sort of thought about the fact that they kind of hedged on that. Uh, to me, sort of my read on it anyway would be perhaps that's part of what the discussion is, the face of the franchise discussion that you sit down and have with Elias Pettersson after this season. He's eligible for an extension. You know, you have the captaincy to sort of wield in discussing the nature of his relationship with this franchise and what that looks like going forward and what your plans are and, and you know, the whole thing. And I, I'm not sort of talking about the captaincy as like part of the sell job or like an asset that you deploy in talking to Pedersen about staying so much as it's a wide ranging conversation uh, with a key player about sort of the personal services contract that you're hoping he'll sign to remain Mm -hmm. and what that looks like, what his role is, what the team's plan is. You know, to me, bringing up more than Pedersen almost feels like a hedge in case those talks go a certain way, right? Oh, well, we have another really good option. But it feels like it it should be Pedersen's letter just based off of, you know, everything we know about this franchise and those personalities and where this all goes. Trance, you're in the room and you talk to these guys. Does Pedersen strike you as captain material? Because the one thing that we've been talking about um, is that you have to put these guys into a position to succeed, um, and this whole organization has to be aligned. Like, it was an issue with the coaching staff and management. Hopefully it's not an issue going forward. The room has to be aligned now, and Pedersen is still a young guy. Um, it was only last season that he was really struggling psychologically too. Um, and now you're going to ask him potentially to be the main player spokesman for this team while also expecting him to be, you know, one of the elite players in the NHL. He's never struck me as this super gregarious guy that loves chatting with people. There have been a couple times where he's made comments like, I don't really want to create a headline by saying anything. Well, you know, yeah. that that to me just makes me think like I, I, I hope they I, I hope he if he if he gets the job, I hope he really wants it. Yeah, well look, I think the fact is is that you know, I, I share your concern, but this team you know, I think, I would argue, has not been aggressive enough in empowering Pedersen internally and, and in terms of some of the s- symbolic stuff as they should have been. Like, he's, he's young, but he's 24 at this point, right? Like, what, this is season six for him, five for him? Like, he's been around at this point. He's a young vet at this point. He's not a pure young player. This isn't a guy who's like pre-prime. Yeah. He's smack dab in the middle of his prime. He's been around. He's basically where Horvat was when he was named captain. For sure. And, you know, we're also only like, what, eight months removed from the organization publicly saying things like, we don't have an elite player. Uh, JT Miller's our best player. Um, you know, you look at usage uh, in the tail end of Travis Green and the fact that Pedersen wasn't like a hard match top of the lineup guy uh, looks like Tockett might try to use him as, as sort of more in that role too. Uh, it took Bruce Boudreaux coming in for him to kill penalties. It took Bruce Boudreaux coming in for him to be on the ice late in games, you know, as the Canucks tried to sort of uh, seal a, a late win um, in, in games they were leading. Like in a lot of ways, this team hasn't 
sort of run itself in a way that puts Pedersen out front and really empowers him and makes him, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, the guy. And, you know, I would suggest to you perhaps that that's maybe part of the issue in, in terms of the alignment in the room, right? The, the fact that there's been some debate, there's been some open sort of like some vacillation between multiple poles, right? The, the, the fire, more fiery personality of JT Miller versus Elias Pedersen. And I'm not saying uh, necessarily an adversarial thing. I don't want anyone to take that away. Although I don't think that's an unfair read. Um, but I, I do think in a lot of ways you need to, when you have an elite young player and, and an elite two-way player, put them in situations where this becomes their team. And, you know, I saw that happen up close with a guy who ne- didn't necessarily have the personality that people thought, oh, that guy should be captain, that guy's a killer, in, in Alexander Barkov. And, I, I mean, Barkov's one of the great, complete two-way players in this game, so it's a little bit different. Uh, he had a little bit of a more mature defensive skill set than just about anybody, not just Elias Pettersson. Yeah. That's not criticism. But, you know, I think it's important to put young players and push young players to step into that role, too, and I don't know that the like I think the organization's hedged at just about every turn with Pedersen, uh, and for me anyway, that would be the bigger issue uh, than the than the is it too much too soon? Because I don't think it is based on you know this age and stage of his career. Like how this organization, especially with this sort of core group as assembled, goes as far as Pedersen takes it. We've known that for a while, and yet this organization hasn't carried themselves or set things up internally to make that clear to everybody involved. Um, you know, I, I don't know that that's necessarily the right way to go about it either. Where does this all leave them with JT Miller, both from a leadership perspective and a positional perspective? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they better hope it's at center and, you know, clearly not as a contender to be the captain of this team, which, you know, uh, I mean, it's tough, right? Like you, the organization signed him, fifty-six million, seven-year deal, right before the season, and eight months on, he's not a potential captain in the wake of Bo Horvat's departure, and the organization's insisting he's a center, and the market's not sure. I'd say that's pretty much. I think that speaks volumes about how this bet has worked out to this point. Right now, it's early, right? It's like you've got the under on 220 in a, in a basketball game and it's a 70 point game in the first quarter. Like it's not like you've actually lost yet, but it's not looking good um, for sure. And, and I think that's, you know, both on the leadership side and the positional side, like I think in both respects, there's a lot of questions now uh, about how this organization moves forward. And, you know, I, I mean, I've been pretty consistent about this. Like I don't think JT Miller's, likely to give you full value at center you know I mean I broke it down a couple weeks ago but you look at this season and everyone will say well he's just struggled a bit this season like it happens and it's like but he but he hasn't the problem is is that he hasn't like his two-way form and his production when he's been on the wing is consistent with the point per game driver type player that we've seen for much of his time in Vancouver it's just that he's also got this sort of 250 minute sinkhole where he's played center and absolutely nothing has happened. The Canucks have never had the puck in those minutes. They've scored, I think, something like five goals in 250 minutes now with him playing center. And that's, you know, like that's Jay Beagle stuff. 
in terms of offensive production. And, and you can't live with an $8 million player producing like that. So, you know, we'll see. The organization is incentivized now to give him at least another 35 games to, to show them that, you know, he can be the guy he looked like at center down the, um, you know, down the stretch of the Bruce There It Is campaign. Uh, but I'm skeptical. I just think, I think he's a better fit for this team at wing. I think his skill set is, is plays far better there. I've gone over why a million times. Um, and, you know, I think when you consider the Horvat trade, like what's the thing about the Horvat trade that really makes sense, right? It's that the team's looking further ahead and that these assets, you know, could help when this team realistically could be good again. And I think partly, you know, what, what this sort of shines a light on too is it's really too bad that the Canucks are only going to get to make one of these, right? Like there, there was a world where you could have made two or three, depending on the, how the Kuzmenko situation turned out, of, of these types of deals. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're not looking at that first round pick from the New York Islanders and being like, oh man, it's really important where that lands. Yeah. If that's pick 25, Versus pick five in 2024, like that's a huge swing for this team. It's just like, hey, that's a nice asset to have, and wherever it goes, the club will net value. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 development of Atu Ratu, right? Who a lot of people in the league aren't sure he has the speed to necessarily stick at center. He's absolutely not viewed as a lock to stick at center. Although the Canucks clearly do view him as a center, they also viewed J.T. Miller as a center eight months ago. So that's not like money I'm taking to the bank boys. And so, you know, I'll, um, you know, instead of it being like, Oh boy, Atu Ratu better hit as like at least a very good middle six center for this team. It would be like, Hey, that's a nice piece. And we'll see where it goes. Like it takes the pressure off all the pieces because you're, you're going with a volume approach and this team's desperate, desperate for just more volume generally. And, you know, I think more than anything, the Horvat deal, the way it looks, uh, what it sets this club up to do, you know, it, it would be an awful lot more powerful if it had been done in concert with a more focused sort of effort to reset this team with the future in mind. And I, I think that's sort of one of the big takeaways coming out of yesterday. Drancer, what do you make of the chatter around Thatcher Demko right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't have a ton of hard intel on it, but he it feels like he kind of just disappeared in mid-December I know he skated with the team a couple times but we haven't really seen it uh his timeline's been extended and this team's goaltending you know was bad before the season and or sorry was bad before his injury and has been bad since and which has sort of underscored his importance to this team you know more than anything I just sort of think about Demko's evolution in terms of dealing with us and you know kind of stopped talking after losses, uh, sometimes wouldn't talk after wins. His availability has been inconsistent. And, and it didn't, like, he didn't seem to carry himself that way a couple years ago or when he first got the starter's job. It feels like something's changed there, uh, to me anyway, and sort of was, was evident down the stretch of last season and became really evident in the early part of this year. Um, so, you know, I, I don't have a 360 degree view of, of exactly what's going on. But I read a lot into the fact that his name is out there, uh, that there's a sense in the industry that that could happen. 
And that's one I think the Canucks have to be very, very careful about because, you know, we're only eight, nine months removed from a world where Thatcher Demko would have been like one of the most valuable (laughs) assets on the trade market. And right now, I mean, truly, truly, like, I don't know that they would have said yes, but they would have thought about it. If you'd called New Jersey in Montreal at the draft last year and, and asked ask for the second overall pick for Thatcher Demko, I think that I think they would have considered that strongly. Right. Right? Like, that's the sort of value that he would have had in June of last year coming off last season. And now there's no way, right? Like, now he's just a goalie. He's a goalie who has hit a really high level in the past, is young, well-regarded, and, and would be seen as upside. But that's, like, a totally different, you know, that's a totally different level of asset as opposed to, you know, being so, valued like the American Ilya Sorokin, which you would have been looking at in June. So so maybe only the third know. overall pick? <laughs> the- Demko needs to get back, uh, and, and he needs to get back to form, mm-hmm. and, and then you sort of move forward. But you can't sell, I, I, in my view anyway, at this stage, uh, considering the value lost really rapidly over the course of the past seven months. I mean, that would be, you know, another one of those really bad over bets. Mm. <laughs> uh, a lot of people were upset that this trade uh, involving Horvat didn't return a young defenseman. Uh, the challenge to make over this defensive group remains high for this management group. How are they going to do it? Yeah, it's not going to be easy, but I mean, this trade may not have directly returned a, a defenseman, but it gave it returned assets that can be used to procure one, right? I mean, that first round pick can be used to select a defenseman or can be used to trade for a defenseman, um, you know, do sort of a, a larger version of like the Devontae's type trade. Um, you know, how do you fix the defense? Get as many draft picks as you can. Be the team ready to go, ready to pounce when the next Marino situation or Taves situation or Graves situation pops up. Um, We've been talking about this for a year, right? Like it's not just that you need to return, you know, the Nils Lindquist style prospect in the deal. There's other routes. There's more indirect routes to getting what you need. Uh, Just like in life, right? Like you don't get paid in AirPod, uh, you know, AirPod pros, you paid it in money for your work and then you buy AirPod Pros, right? Like that's how do the Canucks get their blue line? They're probably going to have to be indirect about it. Cap space, draft capital. That's it. Like that's, that's the whole ball game. Everything else is, um, everything else is sort of window dressing, which is sort of one of the things that makes the trade they made, the Horvat trade a little bit distinct from some of the other, uh, sort of deadline deals we've seen. And this is something that's sort of just been lingering in my mind, so I'm going to flesh it out with you boys. You know, you look at the Giroux package last year, and Giroux had an NMC and controlled his destiny and would only go to one place in, in Florida, which sort of limited or, or tied the Flyers' hands to some extent. And yet when you look at the value, like I'd say the Flyers did better. They got a first Owen Tippett, who was a recent top 10 pick, uh, an additional third, and, um, you know, they sent back another fifth, but they didn't take any money back, right? The Duchesne deal between Columbus and Ottawa, no money went back to Ottawa. 
the J.P. Pajot deal, uh, first, second, third, no money went back to Ottawa. Like, what makes this trade sort of interesting to me is that the value of the deal in terms of what the Canucks returned is very much consistent. Like this isn't a market breaking trade paradigm, right? This is player prospect pick. That's like the the classic trade deadline formulation, right? Like there's something very conventional about the Horvat return. What, what makes it distinct is that Beauvillier is a expensive non-expiring deal in the flat cap era, right? So like the Canucks are taking back, um, you know, an asset that's like distressed, right? Beauvillier has been quietly available on the market since the summer. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of trade value wrapped up in him. He'll have to rebuild his value significantly. And even if he does, he's still a winger, right? Like he's still a winger. He still plays a position where no one has trade value at the moment. So I sort of look at this and think the primary difference is the money that the Canucks had to take back in the deal, which neuters in some ways the cap benefit of making the Horvat trade, particularly in the short term. Now, as I sort of think about what this means, I sort of have a couple questions and and things that we'll see. Like one of them is, is this just the cost of doing business in the hard cap world? Like are the blues going to have to take back a non-expiring salary if they want to get the classic trade return for a Ryan O'Reilly or a Vladimir Tarasenko? Like, is this part of it now? Is, is, is the classic trade deadline package com- conditional now in, in a world with no cap space on teams also helping you out in, in, a, in exchange for getting a couple of premium sort of um, assets? Or, or alternatively, you know, did the Canucks just really like this player? And, you know, I, I want to be careful about how I say this, not make a misjudgment, but sort of undervalue the importance of also netting significant short and long-term cap savings in moving off of Bo Horvat. Those are sort of the two lingering questions that I have coming out of this. And that part of it anyway, I think makes this a little bit of a complicated deal to analyze from a Canucks perspective. Because in some ways it is such a future looking deal in terms of the primary assets received. And yet, you know, I think now when you're looking at the Canucks' books and the amount of money that they've committed to wings and how weirdly built they are. Right. Like it's really hard for me to grapple with the idea that this team would make this trade, take back more money on the wings, money that extends into next year and impinges on their ability to spend this summer and then still be prioritizing like icing a playoff team next year. Like this deal has to shut firm the possibility of this team turning around quickly enough to be like a playoff contender next season too. And I think the logic of that is like built in structurally to the trade they just made. So once again, you know, I'm a little nervous that we're going to end up in a discordant spot where like this team will have extended JT Miller, extended Andre Kuzmenko, traded Bo Horvat for futures, right? And then continue to think short term in other moves making this sort of just a spectacular one-off as opposed to a sign of a, of a new direction. And if it's that, then I think the move's an awful lot uh, different and should be viewed an awful lot different, even if you like the Ratu and the, and the sort of Islander short position that they've purchased. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.